Hello and welcome to another episode of Blase Blah Film Chat. It's been a little while since my last chat, but I guess I feel like I needed to take time to rejuvenate, you know, just from all of last year's happenings. 2020 was definitely overwhelming to say the least. So, you know, I had to take time to just refocus in the beginning of the year, you know, I reprioritize some things. Um, just that normal stuff, you know, we do when we bring a new year in. And so I had actually planned on releasing this particular film chat around Valentine's Day in February, but... I just got bogged down um, a bit, so I made it a priority, though, to record this episode in time for Women's History Month, which actually, I feel like it worked out even better since I had already planned on choosing a film by a woman director. Anyway, um... This way, um, I feel like we can celebrate both Black History Month and Women's History um, all at the same time. So without further ado, let me go ahead and introduce the film for this episode of Blase Black Film Chat. And this movie is called The Weeknd which was directed and written by Stella McGee. Stella McGee is a Canadian filmmaker who both directs and writes. I first heard about McGee when her directorial debut film, Jean of the Joneses, was released in 2016. Um, and it screened at the Los Angeles Film Festival. And I just remember there being a lot of buzz about it. And I think I read about it in the newspaper or something like that. Um, however, uh, Gene of the Joneses actually premiered at the South by Southwest Film Festival that same year. And it received, you know, very positive reviews. Um, it got nominated for several awards, including Best Screenplay at the Independent Spirit Awards. The, the film, it actually had a really great cast. Um, some of the cast members were Taylor Page, who... Paige, she's been landing some pretty notable film roles lately. She Most recently, she was in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And she's also going to be in the highly anticipated um, film titled Zola. And I actually can't wait to see that one. Because I think it'll be pretty interesting just to see maybe one of the first, if not only, films that pretty much is based entirely on an actual Twitter that uh, Twitter thread which was legendary maybe a few years back so if you didn't happen to be on Twitter at the time to see that I would suggest you actually Google Zola 
And you might be able to actually find that Twitter thread because it's not on Twitter anymore. But you'll definitely uh, be able to kind of read the summary of that story. But it was like a 148 uh, tweet. And it was just a story about this waitress named Zola. And she met a stripper. And they just wound up going on this crazy two-day cross-country uh, road trip. And, it, you know, it was just uh, so fantastical that it caught the buzz of Hollywood. And... Ta-da, several years later, it's an actual film. So that's actually scheduled to be released in June of this year, 2021. So definitely looking forward to that. But that film, it also features Sherry Shepard, Gloria Rubin was in it. Another actress that I really like and, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing her and a lot of other things was Erica Ash. She was also in... Um, that first film that McGee um, directed. And you might know her um, from some of the roles she's played. She was in The Real Husbands of Hollywood, where she played uh, Kevin Hart's ex, his character's ex-wife. She was also in that show, uh, Survivor's Remorse, which is on Showtime, I believe. So, you know, she's just an actress that I think is very exciting. Um, to watch in recent years. So some of, of some other films of McGee's are Everything, Everything, which was released in 2017, and more recently, last year, The Photograph was released, and that starred Issa Rae from Insecure fame and Lakeith Stanfield from... He's been in Atlanta, Get Out, and most recently he starred in the Black uh, Judas and the Black Messiah film. So definitely, you know, um, if you have time, if you haven't seen the photograph, I would highly suggest um, checking that film out. And that film. It's kind of special to me now because it was actually the last film that I saw in a movie theater before the pandemic hit. And I recently found my movie ticket in the pocket of the jacket that I wore. So, you know, hopefully that's not the last film that I ever see in theaters because, you know, I, I do think that the theater and movie theater industry will rebound, but if for some reason, you know, that was the last film that I ever saw in a movie theater, you know, I'm pretty glad that, you know, it was a black film and, you know, that it was also directed by a black woman, no less. So... Yeah, but other than that, make um, McGee. She's also directed several episodes of TV shows such as Grownish, Insecure, and First Wives Club, and she's also set to direct Whitney Houston's biopic, which is titled um, "I Want to Dance with Somebody." So even though I'm a little bit almost fatigued with the Whitney Houston docs. 
I am looking forward to seeing Whitney's uh, Tory story uh, told through the lens of a black woman. And I feel like since um, Stella McGee's, her films have been focused on, you know, strong black female protagonists, I think she'll be able to give Whitney's story a multidimensional treatment in a way that hasn't been done, perhaps. So yeah, that's pretty much a um, a quick background or summary of McGee's work. So I think we can just jump into this episode of this film chat. I knew I wanted to feature one of Stella McGee's films, um, but I was torn, you know, just which one to choose. But because I, you know, I was kind of torn. I actually, I like all of her films, but I think I chose The Weeknd because it shows a quirky and funny black woman, you know, just figuring out her love life after, you know, she gets entangled with two possible suitors. Um, it's just a charming romantic comedy starring black people with no extreme trauma attached. And it just deals with the ordinary struggles, you know, people have trying to get over a past breakup, you know, then uh, trying to find new love, you know, just being in love and staying in love. It, to me, it's almost kind of reminiscent of, I feel like it's, it's very Love Jones-like, but not in the poetic, neo-soul, you know, dramatic sensibility of that film, but just in the sense of how um, McGee's characters, they're just allowed to have normal ups and downs of life and be three-dimensional, you know, within the context of this relationship film or, or rom-com. Um, I guess, yeah, it would, fit, it would fit into the rom-com kind of genre. And I think it's sad to say for depictions of Black people in film and, and in television, this is kind of rare, and also what sets this film apart for me is the smart comedic aspect of it. The writing is just so seamless and McGee's script, it just perfectly showcases the lead actress Sashir Zameda's comedy acting chops. Zameda, she's most notably known for being a SNL cast member from 2014 to 2017 and I believe she quit and from what I read um McGee had actually written this script with the lead actually being a comedian before Zameda was even cast um so I feel like that match was just you know, it was just a match made in heaven. But I do wonder if McGee had her in mind when she actually wrote the character. 
because I know sometimes when I'm writing, it's helpful to have a particular actor in mind for a role just so you can better write for that character's voice. And even though, of course, you know, that actor may never even wind up attached to the project, the project, it it can give you a sense of direction on where to take the characters, you know, you're creating. So that just would be an interesting um, tidbit to know. So maybe one of these days I might actually be able to ask Mickey myself if I ever have the pleasure of meeting her. So while McGee, her directing skills are extremely competent, I think I'm more in awe of her screenwriting ability because, you know, without a solid script as the, the blueprint, oftentimes the direction isn't enough to make a film rise to a level where you know, it's entertaining as a cohesive body of work or, you know, rises to that level where, you know, it's, it's, it's seen as a showcase of cinematic genius. And not that all art has to rise to the level of, you know, being a masterpiece. There is something, you know, to, to rise into a certain universally accepted bar of you know artistic ability and I just feel like obviously she just does that effortlessly and then of course I'm not saying you know there definitely are directors who can overcome you know a weak script but you know maybe I'm a little bit biased coming from the screenwriter um viewpoint but I don't know. I just really love Miggy's just sensibility and her writing ability. It's just really on showcase in this film. So this film opens with Zadie, played by Sashir Zameda, walking down a set of stairs onto the stage of an intimate comedy club. She talks about after a breakup, how, you know, there should be a certain time when you're allowed to just be pathetic. Now, this hit me when, you know, she gives, she's into going into her routine and she gives examples about taking a bathroom break at work and just crying in a handicap stall. And it just brought brought memories back for me personally because I actually had something similar happen during a horrible date that I was on at a restaurant several years back. And it was just going, you know, left to where I had to excuse myself and I went into the bathroom and I was crying in the handicap stall. And then it just got awkward when I noticed that you know, through my tears, a disabled person and a mother waiting, you know, to change her baby were actually waiting for the stall that I was boohooing in. So I'm not going to bore you 
with that whole scenario um, in my, you know, dating horror stories. Because who, child, yes, I do have them. But, you know, I just was immediately sucked into Zadie's story because, you know, I just, you know, I just feel like it was just so relatable. So she's talking about how there should be a deadline for, you know, how long you can be this pathetic and which as she puts it sucks because she broke up with her boyfriend three years ago. So right here, here's a setup for her relationship dynamic with her ex-boyfriend Bradford, who, you know, we're going to meet in the next scene. The next scene opens with Zadie walking out of her apartment to an awaiting car. We see her friend Bradford. He's awaiting her and they have a sort of playful back and forth banter where, you know, he's asking if she's still mad at them, at, at him. And you just see they just have a very kind of, you know, sweet friendship dynamic going on here. We learn that she's invited him on a weekend getaway to make up for missing his birthday uh, gathering for no apparent good reason at this so, um, that we can see at this time. But we see he's hurt by it. So she gives him a gift bag of goodies and one of those being a signed copy of The Souls of Black Folk which is a book written by W.E.B. Du Bois. So, of course, he's just, you know, overwhelmed and flattered by it. And it was definitely, you know, a, a costly gift. And he opens it up and he actually finds a picture of the two in Happier Times. She jokingly mentions that she thinks that was the night that she lost her virginity and he kind of casually says to me, and she quickly replies, you know, back, was that me? So just again, like in the previous scene, I love the quick dry humor here. Um, but we also see that this is a friendship slash relationship, which is complicated. They were once lovers, but what are they now? And that de definition is, is what's kind of up in the air, as we'll find out. So as a writer, McGee is setting us up to understand somewhat what our protagonist, Zadie, what she wants. In the prior scene, we established that she's, you know, she's trying to get over her breakup She's still in her pathetic stage, but she mentions that there's a limit to that. So this seems like her, you know, forcing herself to end this, you know, patheticness and move on with their friendship. Or maybe her goal is to rekindle the romance with that picture and, you know, that thoughtful book, which cost a fortune. So we cut to a scene back at the club where she talks about being in this pathetic stage and how you gain sympathy from your ex. And 
you know, because he's heard about your, you know, your feeble attempts at it. She, she talks about, um, you know, having a feeble attempt at suicide with Tylenol and, you know, so, so at this point, this kind of prompts your ex to want to be your friend and help you out, you know, through the pain that he actually caused. And what's even worse is him, you know, trying to make her be friends with his new girlfriend. And then at this point, um, of the after she makes that point, the title of the film is superimposed on the screen and it says the weekend and it's a shot behind Zadie on stage and I just thought that this right here this was a perfect placement and introduction to the whole story we understand what the plot is about what the title means all within just six minutes and I haven't read the actual script which I plan on doing but generally in a script as a writer, you aim to have all of this clarity of the main characters and and the plot, and you just kind of want to make it um, be apparent what their goals are in the first 10 minutes or 10 pages so the reader and the viewer um, get an idea or a sense of what the protagonist's journey in the film is going to be all about. And here, it's just done so effortlessly. Like, I've already seen this film, I think, three times. And each time, I, I'm, I'm stopping it and pausing it and rewinding it because just, just how she lays out the story, just the, the timing, the pacing, is just so right on. So the next scene, Bradford drives up to a residence. We then cut to a, a shot of Zadie and Bradford parked. And, you know, he's thanking her for allowing his new love interest to go with them on the trip. And he's asking her to give her a chance and to get to know her this weekend. So, hmm... As soon as, you know, we're thinking like, who's this, this her, who, who is this mysterious person, Margot, who's played by Dewanda Wise. She walks up to Zadie's side of the car and kind of gives a little tap tap on the window. And see, this scene, I love it because I love the subtle physical comedy that's shown as we see Zadie she's pretending not to hear or understand Margot and she's making a comment to Bradford kind of saying you know like see we're already having problems she rolls the window up and and down slightly causing you know an awkwardness between her and Wanda and finally Wanda she's able to ask Zadie if she minds sitting um if she might if Zadie minds going to the back so Margot can sit up front and eventually Zeta Zadie she acquiesces um and then there's this quick shot of her opening the door 
um, kind of abruptly, and she's like almost hitting Margot, and then Margot she's um gives her kind of you know kind of jumps back and gives her this awkward halfway hug and you know gives this kind of force hey girl hey girl type thing before Zadie gets into the back seat and here it's just such good acting and directing because this awkward tension perfectly sums up the energy and what it's going to be like the entire weekend. And then you have them, these two women, squeezing by each other. And it's just showing the boundary issues that Zadie has for Margot and Bradford's relationship. We see at this point that Zadie, she's clearly in overstepper and we're gonna see that that's gonna be an issue for the rest of this trip I just also before I go on I just wanted to point out that Dewanda Wise is another great young actress to watch out for she had a great performance um in the tv show The Underground and she was the lead actress on the TV version of Spike Lee's She's Gotta Have It, which was on Netflix. I believe it's still on Netflix. So she's just a really exciting actress to watch on screen. So moving on, we see a quick front-facing shot of Zadie sitting in the back seat of the car, clearly displeased as Bradford and Margot lean over to kiss, blocking the view of Zadie. And then both of them moving back out of the frame, we see Zadie's face in sheer agony looking at Bradford and... It's just really, um, it's, it's hilarious. It's a, a great shot where we just get layers of information without having to use dialogue. The camera placement in uh, Zameda's reactions are priceless. You can see she's going to be tortured seeing their relationship while she's still seemingly pining for Bradford at this point. So again, just something that is very relatable. So the next shot, we see Friday uh, superimposed or written over a black screen. Here I think this is a good choice to show the passage of time. Sometimes it can be a little bit abrupt or, or break up the flow of the film but I like how it's used throughout the film here so every time you know we shift from day to night or it's a new day we get this you know black screen letting us know and I, I, I think it's it's done very effectively here so then we get a series of shots of them driving up the freeway and through the mountains and the curving roads leading to this getaway location. And it's just very nice imagery of the California mountains. I'm not quite sure where. I was trying to guess, but I'm not even going to guess. I just know it's, it's in California and in the mountains somewhere. 
but it's really pretty. And it's just, you know, nice to see this part of the state and not, you know, the usual, the normal palm trees and beaches that, you know, are shown of Southern California. So we're getting these shots of Margot and Bradford looking at each other longingly and holding hands while Zadie, she's in the backseat rolling her eyes. We also, as we are seeing these shots, the song uh, playing Black Mother and Father by Alton Ellis is, is playing over this this you know shot sequence and that's something I want to point out in this film is that the music is used very very well so they finally pull up to a rustic property with this uh, huge wooden electric fence with the sign Queenie's bed and breakfast and a little fun fact I read in a Vanity Fair interview that McGee was inspired to have a bread and breakfast setting because of her mom who actually opened a bed and breakfast after she retired in Toronto. So I thought that was a cool little tidbit to know. So moving on, a shot from inside the car shows them driving up a scenic driveway surrounded by nature and just full of trees and these manicured bushes full of these blooming flowers. They stop in front of the property and park right as they come upon Karen, who's played by Kim Whitley. And Kim Whitley, again, she's another gifted comedian and she she's picking flowers. So this is just a really nice introduction to her character visually. There's a quick there's a quick um, cut to a wide shot outside of the car showing the full front of this, you know, this lush and rustic property as Karen she she sets down her basket then there's another quick shot shooting down to show Zadie and the others emerging from the car and then finally we go back to a shot of Zadie getting out of the car to greet Karen and I'm just pointing out all of these shots because Oftentimes, in a similar situation, the director would have just settled for that one POV shot from inside the car and not showed establishing shots of the location. And I think this is a good example for, you know, new or aspiring filmmakers to just notate how important it is to make a shot list and to also get coverage from several angles if possible because it just makes for more interesting things for the viewer or the audience to look at and it, it just makes the scene pop and have more dimensions and I just want for future black uh, filmmaking to just be more more visual and just more smart in, in, in utilizing film 
language in, um, you know, just in the future. Back to the scene. We have a medium shot of Kim and Zadie where she says, hi, mom. And Karen looks her up and down, taking note of her jean shorts cut to the knee, black tee and white sneakers. And she kind of, you know, gives her a dry response. It's not nice for a young girl to give up. Zadie, you know, she repeats, hi, mom. And, and Karen responds. Uh, responds these are the best years of your life and you know Zadie she keeps responding like hi mom hi mom a third time and then finally you know Kim she gives up and she gives her like a reluctant hug so we see the dynamic of their relationship and you know it's that kind of typical critical mom daughter kind of dynamic going on Kim Whitley she plays this role so well and it's such a departure from some of her more memorable memorable roles. Like in the second Friday film, I believe, um, that she was she starred in. And then her role on Curb Your Enthusiasm. I remember um, she's got a lot of buzz when, when she did made that appearance. And those were comedic, but she had a more sexy persona so she's very good at mixing those two but here she plays a black mother the black mother role very well the no nonsense funny you know still attractive but you know hip and just with it and I just I, I really love her in you know her acting career as it's um, transitioning, the, the type of roles that she's getting, they're transitioning. And I, I really love that, looking at her career. But continuing, Zadie, she asks her where her dad is. And Karen nonchalantly replies that, you know, he's on a fishing trip. And, um, she, you know, she reminds Zadie that the world doesn't revolve around her. And, you know, people, they, they do have lives and other things to do. So Karen then she warmly greets Bradford, but she also she 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 shades Margot, letting her know that she's actually not the one who extended an invite to her. That apparently was Bradford. So this definitely obviously makes Zadie very happy because you know her mother she's on the same page as her. And, you know, there's nothing like a little mom and daughter shade. So Karen, she shows them to their room inside the bed and breakfast. And, you know, it's very charming. You know, it has that kind of homey cabin feel. Um, so once Sadie is in her room, she notices a mysterious and handsome male guest who's bringing his who's bringing in his belongings from his car. He catches her spying on him as she, you know, she's looking out the window and she winds up jumping back from the window um, in embarrassment. She winds up, you know, questioning her mom about, you know, who this stranger is. And we learned that his name is Aubrey and he's played by Elon Noel, who 
I think he's most known for his role in Insecure, and he also starred in McGee's film, The Photograph. And again, he's just another awesome young actor who's been, you know, making some waves the past uh, few years. But she learned from her mom that Aubrey was supposed to come with another guest, but he's now solo for some reason. So, hmm. Now we see that, you know, this 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 trip is having an unexpected surprise. So the next shot pans down from the trees and then stops slightly positioned from above and shows a picnic set up with Bradford and Margot sitting on a blanket with Zadie on the other hand sitting awkwardly next to them in the dirt with a beer. And I love how McGee uses the space in this scene to again show how Zadie, she's the third will and this is kind of forced and she's kind of forced in to this cringeworthy situation um you know and it's just it's so funny and she does such an excellent job of showing the funny with the action and then layering it with minimal but on the nose dialogue and so Bradford, he asks Zadie if she wants to sit on the blanket, but clearly there's not enough room for her to where she would be able to comfort, you know, comfortably do so. So this scene is just, it's so simple, but it's just, it's just so genius, you know, and it shows just how McGee, she balances both, it's the writing, but it is also the great directing on top of the the acting is just um it's just really uh spot on so you know Zadie she has some funny but shady back and forth dialogue with Margot when Aubrey uh comes walking up a trail with his camera and Margot, she takes this chance to call him over against, you know, Zadie's wishes. So Aubrey, he winds up joining them and he mentions that he saw Zadie spying on him from the window earlier. And so after a funny back and forth, Margot, she winds up inviting him to join them all for dinner later. So after their outing, we cut to a scene with Zadie and her mom in the kitchen. And Zadie, she pours herself a drink before uh, her mom, Karen, you know, snatches the bottle from her. And then Zadie, she takes this time to, you know, ask where, you know, if, if her dad's coming. And her mom kind of ignores her and just, you know, makes a slick comment about her outfit and you know that she she looks like she's making a little bit of an effort and so she leaves and Zadie you know she sneaks another glass of wine so Zadie's habit of reaching for an alcoholic beverage under stress it's a little character tidbit that we're starting to pick up on 
at this point. And so, you know, we cut to um, the next shot, which is um, black screen that says Friday night. You know, then we cut to, you know, an outside shot of the house at night. So, you know, just a little notation from for the filmmakers. You know, it's just all those little shots are all um, in the details. So we cut to a shot. um and what looks like a den and the group of the four the four of them they're all mingling before dinner so Bradford he's asking Aubrey you know what he does for a living for for a living and Aubrey tells him that he's a video game programmer and then Zadie she winds up you know entering the conversation you know with a bit bit of sarcastic um commentary regarding the violence of video games which causes March Margot to interject and Bradford he does this thing where he instinctively puts his arm around Zadie as if you know to kind of just control her from you know going in further so there's this interesting shot where you only see Zadie and Bradford's arm. Then it cuts to a reaction shot of Aubrey laughing. And he he makes a remark that, you know, they have a really interesting dynamic going on. Then we cut to a shot over Aubrey's shoulder showing Bradford in the middle of Margot and Zadie. And his arm is over Zadie's shoulder, but then the other arm is around Margot's waist. So the body language of the scene, it says so much about the, the dynamic that's going on between all three with Bradford trying to hold on to both women, like both literally and figurative, figuratively. So after, you know, this snide comment by Zadie about Aubrey, you know, not getting outside and, you know, she kind of lets him know that, you know, there are a lot of trails where, you know, one can be lonely and depressed he shoots back at her that, you know, well, maybe she should show him around then. So this kind of puts a chink in the wall that Zadie has up, has had up, you know, so far during the, the, the trip. So she's letting her guard down and, you know, she kind of, you know, lets him know like, well, maybe, well, sh she might later, later on. So this is like a, you know, kind of subtle, witty back and forth and, this this cross dialogue with jokes and punchlines in the conversations between you know these characters and these kind of complicated relationship and i feel like that's what makes this film so special and just the level of intellectualism and sophistication with a black sensibility it's just just very refreshing to see in this this film centering black folks so in the next scene Zadie she's we see her in a in the bathroom emulating I guess this this imaginary conversation that she's gonna have with Aubrey in the mirror 
And then Bradford, he, you know, barges in and interrupts. And he just, you know, has come in to let her know that he doesn't think it's a good idea, that she should be alone with Aubrey, you know, outside on a walk because, you know, he could be a, a psycho, you know, murderer or something. So we start to see that he cares because up until this point, it seems like Zadie, she's just been kind of like acting out and being a brat and Bradford, he's been just kind of like putting up with it and kind of, you know, just trying to keep her in check so that, you know, she doesn't, um, you know, I guess be too overwhelming towards Margot. But now we start to see like, okay, hmm, you know, maybe he does care about, you know, what Zadie, her, you know, her whole relationship status is and stuff. So he's letting her know that he's changed from the man that she used to know. Um, but also in the same breath, He's accusing um, Zadie of going on this walk to actually, with Aubrey, to actually uh, get back at him. So again, here's this big change in direction of the film where we have Bradford acknowledging that he still has feelings for Zadie. So this isn't, you know, this, this one-sided, unrequited love scenario that um, it kind of seemed like in the beginning of this film. So we cut to Aubrey and Zadie and they're walking through this wooden area talking. And it starts with a, the shot, it starts with a, a far off shot of them down this path as Aubrey asks Zadie what she does for a living. Then we cut to a medium shot of them both uh, standing, talking with each other. She tells him she's a comedian and he you know, replies that um, he thought she was joking when she said that a, a little bit old, uh, a little bit earlier. And she lets him know that, you know, no one really takes her seriously. And, you know, he asks, you know, is that really true? And she tells him that you know, she still, she, she feels very serious about him, you know, just in that moment. And maybe because of the, the sunlight, or I'm sorry, the moonlight and how, you know, it's reflected, it feels very romantic. It's a good shift in their energy with Zadie's character because we're seeing now the shift in her where she's now feeling Aubrey and she's warming up to him. And she says, you know, another joke. And he tells her that she's cute and she blushes. So, you know, it's kind of like, oh, okay. It's moments like this that I like in films because you find yourself smiling and just having this, this guttural reaction to what's happening on the screen. So, you know, I love it because you kind of feel like you're in the shoes of the characters and you're feeling what they're feeling. And this chemistry, you know, that's it's building between these two. It's very organic and nothing about the situation seems rushed. So, again, McGee... She's perfectly paced the story to 
unfold. So cut to the scene with Marlo coming out of the bathroom to find Bradford sitting in bed reading the book that Zadie gave him and he's not paying her any attention. So Marlo, you know, tries to have a little bit of sexy time with him and Bradford just shrugs off her advances and he tells her that, you know, he doesn't want to have sex in Karen's house because she's like his uh like a mom to him so you know he just doesn't feel comfortable doing that and then he winds up springing it on marlo kind of saying that he feels like they should get tested for stds which throws her for a loop so she's kind of confused but where all of this is coming from, but us as, as the audience, we know that he's having all of these feelings because of, you know, his prior encounter with Zadie. So he must be thinking about her, you know, having a good time with Aubrey. So come back to the trail and there's a, we have, we have a long shot where we see Aubrey and Zadie at the end of this opening facing each other in the moonlight. And, you know, we hear Zadie laugh a little faintly in the distance. And this is just a very intimate shot that sets the mood for this chemistry that's flowing through them or between them. We then cut to a close-up of Zadie smiling at Aubrey and then cut to a shot of Aubrey admiring what he sees before telling Zadie that she has really nice eyes. Does she have a normal reaction to this? No, of course not because she kind of rolls her eyes and she she says something like she was expecting, um, I guess, Godard or Fellini. And after, you know, an unsure moment, she winds up suggesting that they should leave um, because she doesn't really know him that, you know, very well. And he seems disappointed, but he appeases her and they go back to the bed and breakfast. But we see here that there's definitely a spark um, between them at this point. So fast forward to the next day, we have Marlo, Bradford, and Zadie eating an awkward breakfast outside. Bradford, he winds up suggesting that they play a game of cards and he mentions where the cards are and so in his room. And so Zadie, she jumps up and offers to go get them. So once inside his room, she, of course, takes that opportunity to snoop through he, um, um, he and Margot's belongings. And what do you know? She finds a wedding ring amongst Bradford's things. So she takes it out of its case and, or out of its little box and she slips it on her finger and you know just admires it um but then she removes it and you know puts puts it back uh, along with all of his um belongings put everything back in place 
I like the music score in this scene. There's like an upbeat Charlie Chapman, like Chaplin, like piano playing music. Um, you know, just as she's frantically uh, searching. Um, then it abruptly stops when she finds the ring. And after she has the, the realis realization of, you know, how serious Margot and um, Bradford um, are, the music comes back on. But it's like a more sullen um, type of music. I think it's, there's like a, either, it's like either a flute or a, cl a clarinet playing. And it just gives a very retro feeling, um, you know, when music was used to um, signal the mood shift in the scene. So, you know, that's just a, a characteristic that I really, I really like about um, this particular scene. And just the, the use of music or the soundtrack in this, this film is done really, really well. Or the score of this film is done really, really well. Zadie rushes out of the house and we cut to a shot of her walking aimlessly down a dirt road. A car starts to honk at her and she yells for them to go around just to find out that it's Aubrey. So she jumps in his car and rides with him. The vibe shifts as we see them driving into town. The song Smoke Break by Black Party, it plays and it's just, it's a perfect selection for that moment. Like the lyrics really just suit this scene and Zadie she picks up his camera and simulates taking a picture of him they have this witty back and forth before they arrive at the general store where she goes in and um to get uh some things and Aubrey he stays outside to just look around and take some pics so Zadie she picks up some, while inside the store she picks up some snacks and uh, she picks up, you know, another beer and some liquor, and then she realizes she doesn't have any money on her. So she has to come back outside and ask Aubrey for some money. So he gives her a hard time, jokingly, but he, he gives her money to pay. So then, she, you know, she comes out, and he's taking pictures of her, and she gets agitated um, and a little bit upset and then she decides well I'm gonna walk home but then she has a change of heart as she um, realizes that you know her bag is too heavy to haul back home you know that that whole way so she comes back around and um, gets in the car so they have um, an awkward and silent moment while they're driving back um, to the bread and back bed and breakfast and Zadie she opens up uh, her beer and she offers Aubrey a drink and to which he refuses because uh he doesn't uh want to drink and drive so that's just like a little funny um moment here but so they they then wind up stopping at a diner on the way and Z Zadie still on one she winds up just ordering you know a bunch of stuff off of the menu as Aubrey kind of stares um on in shock but 
he has a good sense of humor about it and you know pays for um their impromptu lunch so back in the car zadie she notices he has a lot of stuff in the back seat of his car and he reveals that him and his girlfriend just broke up um and she's been his girlfriend of six years and you know he's he's in the process of moving and the girlfriend was actually supposed to be moving with him and the the his stop at the bed and breakfast was actually supposed to be a romantic pit stop for the both of them as they moved to their new home and so oddly zadie she she finds this as a turn on because he seems more damaged than her so there's like this pause between them where they contemplate like okay where did we go from here and then they kind of fall into this kind of weird awkward um kiss and then they just kind of wind up attempting to make room in this crowded car and to have sex but then after you know not being able to kind of maneuver correctly they give up and just decide that you know they'll wait um to have sex later and this is all happening in the parking lot of the diner so in the di- of the diner so that just seemed a bit odd for them anyway so they pull off so you know we get several short scenes um so later on Zadie she's searching the drawers and closet in her room for something to wear and it's just a bunch of her mother's old clothes hanging up and she finds a, a gray sli- uh, slip dress and you know these these black clunky granny heels um, along with some lipstick then we cut to Zadie walking out to the dining area where Karen is setting up her mother and Zadie she's wearing the gray slip dress but she has she still has on the same white tee t-shirt from um earlier underneath the dress and she has the black clunky heels on so it's funny but she still kind of looks um cute in this kind of quirky 90s type of you know vibe because i think that in the 90s girls were wearing slip dresses with the the t-shirts under them that was kind of a little vibe so karen she winds up asking her you know is that my dress and then zadie she remarks that you know yeah it was in like 1977 so we cut to zadie a scene to where zadie she's her and margo are in the kitchen or in different sides of uh, the kitchen island and they're cutting up um, I think vegetables or something and they have a you know this back and forth exchange where they're trying to you know be cordial but they're also giving jabs to each other and you know each are each are basically trying to prove how much better they know Bradford so Zadie she remarks how Bradford you know was supposed to go to South America to find himself for a month and then you know somehow found Margot, and then it's kind of like okay aha just as you know the audience 
we see this reveal to let us see deeper into what's going on in the relationship between Zadie and Bradford. Um, and we see why she's seeking closure from him because she wasn't apparently expecting this breakup and definitely wasn't, you know, expecting him to come back in a full-blown relationship. Um, I appreciate this because I feel like in a lot of films about black women's struggles in relationships, it's always once a one-sided depiction where we don't see the layers that contribute to the dif- dis- dysfunction of, you know, a woman's actions. So such an important function of having, you know, a woman screenwriter and director is to give this type of perspective. So moving along, Margot, she reveals that Bradford um, said that Zadie, you know, wanted her to come on the trip so they could get to know each other. Um, where, you know, Zadie, she's still insistent that she definitely didn't in, uh, extend an invite to Margo. So again, hmm, we see, you know, I think a little bit more into Bradford's intentions. So there's a little bit more to this trip than, you know, what he's revealed so far or his intentions for this trip. So we cut to a scene where they are all seated at the dining uh, room table. The seating arrangement is interesting because Zadie is sitting next to Bradford and then Aubrey and Margot are seated next to each other but across from them. So Aubrey, he notices Zadie's outfit and he gives her a compliment. And she gives a witty remark saying that, you know, she's trying to look harder to get than, you know, what she really is. And this causes Aubrey to laugh at her sense of humor. And then Bradford, he starts hating and, you know, he asks her, you know, why is she playing dress up? So Margo, she tries to add to the conversation, but Zadie just, you know, continues to shut her down and, you know, giving her a little jabs that are masked and you know their mask is jokes but we we know that they're they're not so Margot winds up you know i think getting kind of fed up excuses herself and bradford he winds up grilling zadie just about you know having a negative response to everything Margot has to say and aubrey though he winds up taking up for zadie Um, which causes Bradford to back up. And I like this that, you know, Aubrey, he's coming to Zadie's rescue and checking Bradford, you know, his his sort of non-acknowledgement of his own contribution to the scenario at hand. So, because he's kind of the one who put, you know, Margot in this line of fire. So cut to the next scene where Bradford, he's in the kitchen and he takes a beer out of the refrigerator. The camera follows him to the door, the doorway 
where over his shoulder, we get a view of Zadie and Aubrey facing each other while sitting on the couch in front of this lit fireplace. Then you have Margot in the foreground sitting next to this fireplace holding a glass of wine. See right here, this is great shot composition where we see all four people at once, yet um, you can also see the, di the distance between Bradford and Margot, both again literally and figuratively, while also seeing this more intimate closeness forming between Zadie and Aubrey with the the, the positioning of them. So then we cut to a forward-facing shot of Bradford standing by himself looking on. But we don't quite know what he's looking at at this point. Is it Margot or is it Zadie? And this is just a really beautiful shot to look at. So Karen, she then walks up next to Bradford and she says, that girl looks sad. Then we cut to a shot of Zadie smiling and nodding. Okay, so this is who Bradford, he's been, been, been looking at. So now we understand what his point of view is. So Bradford responds to Karen and um, he says, uh, you know, oh, she looks happy to me. And Karen, she says, I'm talking about Margot. And then we get a close-up of Margot sitting by the fire, looking off in the distance with a sad expression. See, this right here is, is you know, this, this be what I'm talking about. When I say that, I feel like, you know, I, I'm watching real filmmaking. Because sometimes you, you watch a movie and it's it's like, eh, okay, it's what it is. But then there are other films where it's just like, okay, I'm what I'm watching right now, this is someone who has, you know, perfected their craft and it's very intentional. So with these intentional shots that they actually, they seem unintentional because they are just so smooth and, and they're just so flawlessly executed. Um, but they are showing the story without having to tell the story in words. Um, but with this, this perfectly placed shot selection. So again, it's just great directing, editing, you know, cine cinematography, writing and acting, just all on dis display at the same time. This would be a really great scene to show in a, a film class where, you know, you have to analyze shots because there's just so much to dissect and unfold here just really great like it's one of those scenes again like if you know if you're you're i guess a, a cinephile and you know you just love filmmaking this is definitely a scene where it'll cause you to just you know rewind because you just want to see it kind of all um play out again 
But back to the scene. So Karen, you know, she tells Bradford that he's not really seeing Margot for what she is. And, you know, he asks her, you know, what she thinks about Aubrey and uh, Karen. You know, she says she he's he's cool. You know, if he pushes Zadie, you know, to pretty much have some dignity to get over his ass. And, you know, he comments that, you know, he thought, you know, she wanted them together. And she just lets him know that, you know, she wants someone that, you know, someone uh, to be with Zadie who actually, you know, wants to be with her. And Bradford, he makes a statement where he says he loves Zadie, but he can't stand Zadie. So he's kind of having this 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 self-realization moment. And we see him contemplating, still looking at Zadie, you know, kind of kicking with Aubrey. And then we we see this shot where we see Margot noticing him watching Zadie. Again, another perfect shot where the camera is placed in the spot of where Bradford is standing to reflect his point of view. And we see Zadie intently focus on Aubrey um, speaking as Margot, she's sitting in the foreground, you know, looking directly towards the camera. And then Zadie, she turns and she looks in the same direction at the same time. So you get this kind of intense shot of uh, both of these ladies looking at Bradford um, as if to say like, you know, hey, what are you trying to do? And then we cut to Bradford, who's a shot of Bradford, who's looking kind of um, introspectively, not knowing what he wants. Um, So if for some reason, you know, you're listening to this podcast without, you know, having seen this film for the first um, you haven't seen the film first, then you should watch it, um, just for this scene in the film, I think, like, to me, this is probably, like, this, that standout, uh, scene in, in this entire film for me, and it's just really, you know, it's just really stunning to watch, in my opinion. So, fast forward a couple scenes, um, to Bradford telling Margot. Um, he needs to go get some water. Um, you know, they're in, they're in their bedroom, but instead of going to get some water, he winds up going into Zadie's room and he's questioning her, you know, just about what she's doing with Aubrey and, you know, just accusing her of being jealous and Zadie, she responds back, you know, asking him, you know, about that ring that he has. And so, you know, he just winds up rehashing, you know, just the ups and downs of their relationship. Um, he reveals that he likes the predictability in Margot. Um, unlike, you know, he had with Zadie, you know, just due to her, she I guess she had unpredictable moods. And, but he says, you know, he still thinks about uh, Zadie, you know, way more than he should. And then Zadie, you know, she flips it on him and lets him know that she doesn't, you know, she she doesn't feel sorry, you know, for all these, you know, what she feels like are minor reasons for not wanting to be with her. And 
you know, she just talks about him breaking up with her and expecting her to be his friend and, you know, just how it's affected her. And then she walks out on him. So, you know, boom, I, I just, I like this, you know, that Zadie, she's standing her ground with him. So we get to the final day, Sunday, and we have a shot where there's a shot where it opens on the ground, then pulls up to show Zadie walking toward us down this trail again this time on either side you know of the trail um there are these pretty flowers in bloom and they may be like a orangish or pinkish color um that matches the the color of the shirt that zadie is wearing the field is kind of this this dull brownish green grass behind her or around her and it just makes her look so high fashion or this just makes it look like you know there's like this this she's in this artsy music video as um you know as Zadie she's walking in this kind of introspective manner think of like a Solange video you know that 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 sort of artsy fartiness and I just, it made me watching this scene, I just kind of wondered like, hmm, is this, was this natural lighting or if there was some color correcting uh, going on here? Either way, it's, it's very beautiful looking. It probably was some color correcting going on. So we then cut to Zadie walking into the house um, to find a room full of her father's things that she finds out her mom, you know, has been transferring um, his stuff, you know, off his things there. So her mom walks in with another box and Karen winds up revealing that, you know, Zadie's dad, who she's been asking about the whole weekend, he's not on a fishing trip and that pretty much they've decided to take a sort of break from their marriage. And this, you know, upsets Zadie. But then Karen, she tells, she winds up telling Zadie that she's so self-interested and, you know, she doesn't worry about other people's feelings. And, you know, that's why she, you know, didn't bother to tell Zadie. But she lets Zadie know that, you know, she thinks that she's almost 30. And, you know, she wants her to grow up and realize she's not the only one having a hard time. So cut to the two couples. They're walking the trail together. And we have several shots of them interchanging and switching off um, who they're walking with to, and they're basically probing the different person that they wound up walking with and just asking them questions about you know their feelings for uh each other or the other person and and what the status is of the you know just the friendships and relationships between all these these four couples that you know that are bonded on this trip this weekend 
So Marlo confronts Bradford about taking so long to go get water the night before. Bradford, he tries to throw salt on Zadie um, and Aubrey's situation by telling Aubrey that Zadie is bipolar and hard to deal with. And then Marlo, she, when she winds up walking with Aubrey, um, she tells him that she's been with Bradford for two years and, um, they're actually supposed to be moving in together, but she's lately been having some hesitation about that. So I find that to be like a little kind of interesting dynamic, um, because it's basically what Aubrey just went through with his ex. So, um, at one point, uh, when Zadie and Bradford are walking together, he blurts out that, you know, he's in love with her. And, you know, she shoots him down and, and, you know, tells him that, that, you know, it doesn't even sound right. So we then see these individual shots of Marlo and Aubrey coming out of the trail separately. Um, and then Bradford, he reveals to Zadie that he actually brought, bought that wedding ring from Marlo six months ago. And he's been having a hard time proposing. The camera swings around to show Marlo walking up. So you don't quite, you can't quite tell if she overheard that part of the conversation, but she does say that she's ready to go. So Zadie leaves them to talk. Marlo, she says, that must have been really heavy. So then Bradford, he starts to go on about, you know, how the, the past year has just been hard on him financially and, you know, blah, blah. And she interrupts him and she says, um, it must have been really hard for him to carry that box around for six months. So, ouch, we, she definitely overheard their combo. This is great tension in this scene. Marlo, she runs down different romantic opportunities where Bradford could have popped the question to her. He tries to brush a tear off of her face, but she stops him and then reveals that she, you know, actually had expected him to pop the question because she found the wedding ring a while back, I think hidden in his Jordans. So she thought he was, you know, just trying to muster up the courage all this, this time. And this is a deep combo. And I'm glad that Marlo's character got this moment because it was, it was definitely hard to see another woman, um, get hurt and just strung along throughout the entire film thus far. She seemed a bit one dimensional. And just being the punching bag for Zadie the whole trip. And, you know, just kind of the, the doormat for Bradford. But here we finally got to see the internal feelings of, you know, what she was silently going through every time we got a shot of her staring off into nowhere throughout this film. And we, we needed this because without this scene... There, there wouldn't have been a good payoff 
for, you know, just all of that back and forth that Bradford and Zadie were going through. Just how we see that Zadie has been losing, you know, the past three years. Um, we see what she's been losing in the past three years, which which was basically herself. Now, finally, Bradford is about to lose something with Marlo confronting him. So, just, I think this is just a, a really, um, you know, just a really good, just payoff for what's been going on between uh, Marlo and Bradford, finally. So, Marlo, she winds up walking off and she leaves Bradford standing alone out there on this trail. So, cut to Marlo getting in a car with Karen um, behind the wheel and we see she's just decided she's had enough for the weekend and um, she's being taken to the bus station. And then we, we see the, a shot of Bradford, Zadie, and Aubrey watching them go, Marlo and Karen go. So Zadie at this point, she nonchalantly mentions that, you know, it's such a nice day and she's going to go for a bike ride. So Bradford he chimes in and says he'll go and then Aubrey he winds up chiming in as well and saying he'll go so the three of them they just you know wind up um getting bikes and they start riding up this this steep hill together so the guys quickly get into this competition with each other trying to you know race each other up this hill and they wind up leaving Zadie behind as they're, you know, racing. So she winds up giving up and just, you know, decides to uh, stay at the bottom of the hill and read a book while she waits for them to return. So once they get to the bottom of the hill, you know, she says something sarcastic to them and then they all wind up walking their bikes back to the the property the the bed and breakfasts once back Aubrey tells Zadie that you know he thinks he's gonna head out because he has a long drive a long way to drive but he also thinks he's stepped into the middle of a break he says let me know what he decides and Zadie kind of gives him an unemotional response saying, okay, you know, and, and she pretty much, you know, wishes him good luck on his move. And he walks away. I would say out of the whole film, this scene was kind of anticlimactic for me because I kind of couldn't believe that Zadie would just be so nonchalant. You know, and she just would just let Aubrey leave without acknowledging that something, you know, something real happened between them that weekend. Even if she still found herself having feelings for Bradford um, that she needed to deal with, you know, the mature thing to do would be to let Aubrey know it's still complicated for her. Especially since he's dealing with... Um, He's probably still struggling with, you know, feelings about his ex-girlfriend, who he just, you know, broke up with. But I get how McGee, um, she probably thought, it, it seems like she wants to 
show that Zadie is still not able to deal with her emotions, you know, in a, a, a mature, non-toxic fashion. And she, she's still on her growth journey. So, you know, I, I take that scene for what it was. But that was a little lackluster for me. Okay, so then we cut to the next shot where we see Aubrey, Aubrey driving away in his car. And then Zadie and Bradford walk into the shot where Bradford says something like, you know, sad he had to go with obvious sarcasm. And yeah, this is a good, this is an awesome uh, shot uh, setup, how that was uh, choreographed um, right there. So then, so now we pretty much, we have two down now, um, you know, only two left and Bradford, he pulls Zadie in for a kiss finally, because you know, this is, this is what we've been waiting for the whole movie. It's the standard, you know, will they, won't they, and yes, they, they, they finally do. So after they kiss, the camera holds on to this tight shot of them and for their foreheads are touching. Um, Bradford, he, he's looking down on Zadie's face. Her hair, you know, it's all big and it's all full, just natural. They are both kind of, they're acting kind of, you know, shy. And I think it's, it's, it's kind of striking at this point to just, to just see this chocolate woman getting loved down by this black man, you know, just, just black excellence oozing off the screen. And I love it. Their, their chemistry in this, this scene, it's, it's really sweet. It's nice. So then we cut to the next shot of these two. They're in bed after having made love. So Bradford tells Zadie that Marlo found, you know, the wedding ring four months ago and was just waiting for his proposal. This winds up prompting Zadie to think about how she doesn't like to wait at the post office for more than 15 minutes. You know, after 15 minutes, she just winds up giving, giving up and, and storming out and causing a scene. And she, she winds up set, um, turning to, to Bradford and kind of telling him, you know, like, I should have treated you like the post office. And she explains the analogy because, you know, she, ex she puts it that she's been waiting for Bradford and now that she's in front of the line, there's, there's no payout. She says it's never worth, you know, waiting in line because it's just anticlimactic. And then she gets out of the bed and leaves him calling after her. So it's like, okay, good. She's, she's having some, some, she's finally just kind of had this kind of, you know, self-realization in this moment. After making wild, passionate love to Bradford. We don't see that, but I'm assuming that's what happened. So cut to the next scene and, you know, we, 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 we see Karen walking Zadie out, um, to the car with Bradford waiting. And then we see them driving down this long winding hill. 
So that was probably, you know, a very rough, awkward ride home. So finally, we cut to a scene of Zadie on stage performing her stand-up routine about whether long-distance relationships can be romantic. And then we get a shot of Aubrey sitting at the bar, watching her on stage. And then she ends her routine and we see him clapping and rooting for her and she's smiling lovingly at him. And then we cut to black. The end. So, we see that she did choose to be with Aubrey after all. And she was able to move on from Bradford finally. I was I was kind of worried because I, 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 I didn't think she'd be able to move on from um, Bradford. But, you know, I think this ending is great because I feel like this is a choice that, again, a woman would write. Instead of having, you know, Zadie be so grateful that Bradford was willing to take her back even though he took her for granted and had strung her along in this, you know, this friendship zone because, you know, he wasn't quite sure about his current relationship with Marlo. Um, Here we have Zadie. She gets to do in part what Bradford did. And that's just to allow herself to explore, you know, a whole new relationship and she has an opportunity to find out you know what it's like to be in love with someone else something that you know she hadn't allowed herself to do in the past three years uh since her breakup with Bradford and I mean who knows theoretically her and Bradford they may find their way back to each other in the future if it's meant to be but also, they might not because Bradford never came. I, he never came to terms with the fact that while he loved Zadie, he he still couldn't stand her at the same time. So, how was that ever going to work long term without Zadie, you know, having to do some major compromising and pretty much pretending to be someone else? Or Bradford compromising and, you know, being able to look past the things he didn't like. So, you know, questions, questions. But I see, I think that the sign of a great film is where afterwards you, you just have so many things to discuss. And, you know, it's it's very thought-provoking. So, overall, I greatly enjoyed this film. And I highly recommend it, especially if you're into romantic comedies. But even if you're you're not, um, I would recommend um, I would recommend it because romantic comedies they they aren't really my preferred genre um, either. I usually find them very cheesy and predictable. But this film, it's it's neither of those things. I think mainly because, you know, our female protagonist is, is she's not perfect and she's not just reacting to the typical expectations of society regarding the, the, the female and male relationship dynamic, 
but she she's causing chaos and um you know she's showing an honesty um not 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 typically shown from you know the woman's perspective and Zameda's stand-up routines in the film are so effortless I wondered whether McGee was responsible for the the writing of the jokes or if Zameda wrote them. But according to an interview I read for Entertainment Weekly, Zameda actually she said that she worked with um Stella on the the stand-up routine bits for the film. So um, Stella McGee, she, she had the bones of what her character would say, and then Zameda formed, she formed those bones into the actual jokes, and how she thought her character, Zadie, would, um, uh, say the words. So, this, this film was just perfect to showcase Zameda, just showcase her as both a comedic and and also a bit of a dramatic actress because you know she, she had to to show some range here so i'd say she did a way better job than many male stand-up comics who you know i've seen transition into acting for you know film or tv i ain't saying no names but you know, she 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 did a, a really good job in this film. And so, I just look forward to seeing her in more leading roles. Because she can definitely carry a film all by herself. And, yeah. I think that, um... I think, you know, that's that's all for this film chat. Um, I, I definitely know I had a whole lot to say on this one. I didn't think I would go this long, but it was just a lot about the, just the, the whole shot selection is just the directing in this film. It's the writing that, um, I just really felt compelled to break down. So I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Blase Blah Film Chat And I hope you continue to listen for future episodes. Until next time.